Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Jeffrey Love. Jeff is an attorney and partner with the law firm Gibbs Giddon, and his practice covers a number of aspects of real estate investing, including structuring deals, negotiating, syndication, and working with foreign investors. So thank you so much for being on the show, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So what was your professional background prior to starting with your current firm? I was always interested in real estate. So even from college, I knew I wanted to get into some aspect of real estate. Originally on the operations side, I figured, you know, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to learn about the law and transactions, and then I'm going to do it for a couple of years. And I'm going to go be a real estate investor and a real estate developer. Uh, went through law school, graduated, you know, in our last recession around 2009 and realized, no, l- let me, let me try it. Nobody was hiring real estate attorneys though. So I had two jobs as, let's call it as general counsel. My first was with a scrap metal recycling company, learning everything about corporate law, kind of being in-house with the business, seeing what their concerns are. And then there's, I want to do more real estate. I'm, you know, done a couple of leases. I've helped you buy a building. I really want to get more into the real estate side. So I moved to a real estate developer that owned about 18 million square feet of retail and industrial property throughout the country and did everything and anything for them. New leases, acquisitions, financing. And after a few years there, I loved it, but I wanted to work with a variety of clients, new investors, seasoned investors, um, bigger deals, kind of smaller deals and have a variety of clients instead of just one. So I joined my current firm uh, back in you know, late 2012, 2013, and have been here ever since. So what parts of the real estate law, real estate law, do you, do you currently practice? We really do anything dealing with dirt with the exception of a few minors. We don't get much involved in environmental law. You really want a specialist there, anything beyond you know, your typical phase one. If it property is dirty, you want to have a specialist and, dealing with some types of entitlements. I'm in Southern California. So certain cities, you want a a land use specialist that has relationships with city officials, expediters. So you're able to get those permits on on an expedited quick basis. But besides that, we help clients, you know, soup to nuts, acquiring commercial real estate, leasing it, financing it, uh, construction, all the way through disposition and really a subspecialty dealing with real estate syndications with both domestic and foreign investors, raising a lot of capital, putting projects together. So that's where the corporate side of my practice really, really comes into play is structuring these different investment vehicles for real estate investors. Okay, great. Uh, we have listeners that are experienced investors and some that are just starting out and you work with a lot of founders. What mistakes do you typically see uh, new investors, new entrepreneurs make? There's a lot, but to be gentle, you know, I've had clients that you know, if you learn from your mistakes, you're doing everything right. I have a client that, you know, 
two y- younger gentlemen. They went to uh, you know, under a graduate program in real estate development and started developing properties. And to pick on them as an example, I won't put the, the name. And their first project was a it was a disaster. Um, they came to me ha- halfway through, and they, it was a small syndication tearing down a couple. Um, it's not a couple. I guess a, a triplex um, south of Los Angeles and building three new townhomes. And their operating agreement did not talk about distributions and how profit was going to be uh, divvied up in terms of their management fees versus investors' returns. All it had was everyone's a pro rata return. So they obviously got into a lot of trouble later on in the project when they were trying to figure out cash flow and accounting. Um, another issue you new investors and they ran into is, and this is also seasoned investors, but did not have, and I can't probably stress this one enough is having the right team in place and jumping off, you know, in the deep end before they were ready, their contractor was over budget and delayed on every possible aspect. And while it wasn't their fault, they didn't have the proper protocols in place to manage that contractor and make sure that that um, you know deadlines were met and their and their construction contract with the contractor didn't have the proper provisions to really hold that contractor's feet to the fire so i guess my, my, my three of the biggest ones i'd say for for new investors is outlining everything and making sure you understand the deal and all the mechanics not just from the real estate side but but legal accounting insurance, making sure you understand it all before you jump in into your first deal, making sure you have your proper team in place, you know, not just you know accountant insurance, whether it's your real estate broker or whether it's your your, you know, your partners, making sure that you have everyone there to help you. There, there's no shame, and I'll admit it too. There are there are things even as a real estate attorney that that I don't know. But having someone that I can get that information from and getting the right information is, I think, paramount. And finally, while it doesn't seem like a big issue in you know figuring things out later, is really thinking long term. If you're entering into deals with a partner, are you signing on this, this purchase agreement? You're going to take down a deal and it's in your own name and you're going to go incorporate later. That could lead you to problems with liability. So really taking that bird's eye level approach and thinking. What's my three, five, 10 year plan? Even on your first deal, you can always change it, but kind of think through that before you really jump in and start investing. Yeah, and following along with incorporation, uh, a question that I receive often is about incorporating businesses. Um, what are guidelines that you use with investors about when to incorporate and where to incorporate and all the different questions since there's so many different options out there for incorporating, especially with real estate? It's a difficult question. And I, I've talked you know, with clients before. I'd like calling them the, the five W's, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why of incorporating, because there is a cost involved, you know, especially in California, you're paying a minimum $800 in franchise taxes just for a limited liability entity. So you know, what we say is if there's going to be significant liability and you don't have the insurance in place to cover it. Before you sign on that dotted line, even on your purchase agreement, you may want to consider incorporating because even if you assign an agreement, you know, let's say that Jeff was going to buy a 10-unit apartment building. Once I sign on that purchase agreement, I'm still liable under the purchase agreement, even if I assign it to, to Jeff's LLC later on in the process. 
So thinking ahead of time and making sure you have that LLC, maybe you have one that you're going to use for investments and you assign it to a different entity. But whenever there's significant risk, the, the main benefit, really the why to incorporating is, can I limit my liability and my exposure? If I'm buying a four, you know, call it a t again, a 10 unit apartment building, one of my tenants has a party, someone slips and falls, we're getting an Amazon package delivery and the courier falls, they're not just gonna sue the tenant, they're gonna sue you as the landlord. And maybe you have a million dollar insurance policy and God forbid you know, something happens and someone's seriously injured and there's a $5 million claim. Well, now you have $4 million of exposure. At the very least, if you were to incorporate, you can limit that liability to that single project. If you have multiple, multiple investments, multiple properties, you can segregate the liability between each one. There are many different reasons to incorporate. Um, you get, you know, that, that's the one that I, I would hit on right away is can I limit my liability? Um, in terms of entities, your most common real estate entities are really going to be your limited liability company and your limited partnership. You know, tr tried and tried and tested. And those are the ones that allow you enough flexibility to encompass, you know, sophisticated projects, but also give you all the upside in terms of limited liability and structure. Where do you usually suggest, obviously, if you're operating in California and your properties in California, you'll have at some point a California LLC. Do you ever suggest your, your uh, clients to incorporate outside of California or outside of a, into a different state for different um, asset protection or other reasons? We do. For the most part, we recommend that you incorporate in the state where you're going to either hold property or where you're located just because, you know, you want to limit your fees. So, for example, you know, Delaware, Wyoming and Nevada are three of the common states that come up in terms of incorporating outside of your home state. And for good reason, Nevada has great privacy laws. Delaware, your corporate law is you know, probably the most litigated and understood of any corporate law in the country. And it's very business favorable. So a lot of big businesses want to incorporate in Delaware. But back to our example with our 10 unit apartment building in Los Angeles, if we incorporate in Delaware, we're paying Delaware franchise taxes. And then we also have to qualify to do business in California because that's where the property is. So now we're paying California taxes as well. So unless there's a significant reason to really want to be in Delaware, um, we want to be cost effective and maybe just incorporate in in California or if the properties in Texas or Nevada. But you do hear a lot about Delaware and, and like I said, Nevada, Wyoming with good reason, but you do want to weigh the upside of your, what you're getting by incorporating in those states versus what you're getting in the cost savings of just being local in, you know, in California. All right. So as it, as a, an answer to any legal question, it just depends on your, on your situation. <laughs> it all, it always depends. And it's uh for, and for this one, for good reason. I mean, if yeah. you're a new investor, you, you, that extra 800, you know, dollar franchise taxes, even a few hundred dollars, you may want to save that and say, California laws are understood as well. I, I don't need it, but yes, with, with any good attorney, you're going to get, it, it depends. My, my favorite two words. Okay, great. Yeah. I talk on the podcast a great deal about partnering in order to scale your, your real estate business. What are some of the main things that can be taken into account when partnering? So, it's a good question. And it's another one where I'd go back and say, 
let's look at the high high level bird's eye kind of approach to, to your partner. Um, you know, Charles and Jeff, we're we're going to create a real estate business. We're we're going to you know let's 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 change it and let's say we're going to acquire you know, maybe value value add um, small apartment buildings, duplexes and triplexes, make some money. Well, what are Jeff and Charles? What are our, our motivations? Um, you know. Are we, is my retirement plan in, in 10 years? And you think you have another 30 years of working life? Because that that's one issue is, is what are our intentions? If, you know, if, if you're intending on being in the business a lot longer than I am, when we get towards your retirement age, are you gonna wanna be starting taking more money out of the business while I'm thinking, no, let's grow it, let's expand, let's put money in. So there may be a little friction there in terms of long-term planning. Another kind of huge item with, with partners is you know, what happens if something happens to us? You may have heard the term, you know, kind of buy, sell, and it's not just real estate business, but small business in general. Maybe when you have two, three, four, five partners, if, you know, if one of us, you know, we're, I can't help but mention it. We were in the COVID-19 pandemic. So if something were to happen to one of us and we get sick or God forbid pass away, do you want to be in business with my spouse or my kids? They may know nothing about real estate. It may not want to be in that business. So thinking through like something happens to one of us, or if one of us just want to leave the business, how does that buyout work? Say we've really grown this company. We've got a great management arm and got a host of different investors. And our business is, you know, we think it's worth $10 million. Well, we may not have the cash flow to just book to, to, to buy out each other for $5 million. So how does that buyout work? Is it structured over time? How do we determine the valuation of the business and what events can we buy each other out? If it's, if it's a death, disability, uh, divorce, what if one of us just don't want to work or one of us want to take a sabbatical for a year and travel around the world when we're able to, um, things that you deal with with partners that you may not if you're running this as an individual because well at the outset everyone may be on the same page people change over time so it's thinking of those things from the outset to make sure that you are on the same page and even if things change that you're able to really figure it out and you've just you've outlined what will happen in the mechanics of that certain transaction yeah no that makes perfect sense uh when I was buying my first multifamily property years back, I was at the closing table and we were buying it from a more veteran real estate investor. And he was um, explaining to me how his first partnership blew up. And it was that he was 20 or 30 years younger than his partner. And he wanted to grow. That guy just wanted to invest some of his money and retire in a few years. And uh, he had to restructure it, buy him out and the whole nine yards. So it's really important of having that plan of where you're going to be five, 10 years and, 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 and beyond and uh, make sure that you guys are on the same page. So what yeah. happens? Yeah. What, sorry. What happens if someone dies and then like in a partnership? So if I die in our example, how does that work? If we didn't have a buy sell or certain mechanism to deal with that, your interest in our company, you call it, we're, we're an LLC would go on to your estate. So your, your spouse, your kids, whoever, whoever you're leaving your assets to. The problem for me in this example is because they may not know anything about real estate. We may not get along. I may not want to be partners with them. So without that mechanism in place to deal with it, we're stuck. I don't have any right to buy them out of the business and they don't have any right to require me to buy them out. 
a lot of times when you know if you were to pass away your your state your heirs they want the money from the business they may not want to be involved so a buy sell is a is a legal agreement when you're talking about certain triggering events like a death and what happens how do we value the business am i required as the remaining partner to purchase your shares in the business and how does that buyout work is it a lump sum is it over time in installments um, and a lot of times a small business especially when you start getting real value you may consider getting life insurance to help with that lump sum payment so the company may have had life insurance on your life for three million dollars that lump sum gets paid to your to your kids right now and then over the next five years myself and the business pay out the other two million and then i become the sole owner and that really helps because in this case it's a death it wasn't by choice but that's kind of your business divorce what we're splitting up so your buy sell is your business prenup just like a marriage we're figuring out what happens down the line to make sure that there's a continued you know continuous operation of the business and that this doesn't crumble the business or it doesn't create hardship or you know financial strife cash flow problems and that the remaining partners able to keep keep on with the business keep raising money keep doing real estate deals but adequately compensate the former partner okay yeah that's one fear that i always have is getting into business with someone that you didn't plan on getting in business with whether it's a uh, divorced spouse of one of your partners or their children like you were saying or them selling the business and you not having an agreement in place where they're selling it to a third party and you don't you know now i've got to be in business with this third party and it was my decision if it's not in that operating agreement it also happens a lot you know not just the, the partner but you know in your example the individual you purchased the property from you know, what is his planning for the rest of you know his real estate investments as you get older you know, maybe you're a more seasoned investor you know you're kind of winding down just managing your assets is are your children or your heirs, your estate, are they going to be able to come in and assume where you left off and understand that? So it's really exit planning on that end as well to making sure that, you know, are they going to exchange into other properties or what's the plan for kind of the next generation to assume these real estate assets and be able to manage them and potentially continue to run your business and just making sure as, as you know, as we get older that you've kind of thought through those issues. We get that a lot. And I have I have one client who you know inherited probably about a hundred million dollars of real estate from her parents. And you know, frankly, and it's not that involved in it and doesn't really want to be. And the assets that she inherited are really management intensive. You know, big apartment buildings, uh, mobile home parks where you're dealing with you know day-to-day -day issues. So slowly but surely she has transitioned out of those assets into your kind of coupon property triple net properties where mm -hmm. she's getting a check every month and doesn't have to manage much so she's able that's more her style of real estate versus the prior generation when they were managing those properties and, and they liked a certain asset right right so like more of like a mailbox money type type setup than compared to like you said a lot of asset management which i imagine especially if especially with large apartment buildings. That's a, that's a lot of work. It's a full-time job. Right. So about half our listeners are living outside the U S how would you suggest a foreign investor to be set up or prep themselves for U S investing in real estate? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, 
and, it, and that one, it depends. If you are not a U.S. citizen, are you willing to subject yourself to U.S. taxes? And that that's really the question right there. If you are, and you're willing to file a tax return here, you can use any of the same structures, your LLC or limited partnership that a U.S.-based investor would pay. But for those type of entities, we have what's called pass-through taxation. So the entity itself is not paying taxes. The taxes flow through from your LLC to the individual um, and losses, and that individual reflects them on their tax return. So say you are a resident of the of the United Kingdom and you're investing in the United States and call it California. Yeah, you would now have to pay federal and California state taxes on any profits you received from that investment. If you invested as an individual or even an LLC or limited partnership. We get many investors that don't want to pay taxes here. They don't want to be involved at all having to do tax returns here, get another have their accountant deal with it. So for those individuals, a lot of times what we'll create is what's called a blocker. And that is usually a C corporation. It is an entity that pays its own corporate level tax. So they'll they'll create um, you know, one, two, three Main Street Corporation. And that entity will pay its own taxes. And any dividends that would flow to the investor can flow directly back to the UK and they don't have to pay any other taxes in the United States on their individual worldwide income. They still file the UK tax return. The only thing they have to do is the company would file a tax return, but you're shielding all of your foreign income. The downside to that is now you have a corporate level tax. And right now it's, you know, it's lower, but depending on you know, what side of the political spectrum we get, there've been talk about increasing the corporate level tax up to you know, 37, 38%. So that's a big factor to consider because it's really eating into your returns. So again, it depends because there's pros and cons to each. I mean, they're eating up my returns in terms of you know, flexibility and administrative ease, or I'm subjecting myself to really filing an individual tax return in the United States, but I could be saving myself 18, 19% on the money that I'm making and the cash flow that this investment property is is generating every month. Okay. Yeah. So there's all different types of entities that can be set up. Um, I think most investors that work with us foreign are setting up um, U.S. LLCs, and then they can use that with all different types of projects that they're working with. So they're getting their I-10, they're working with a, a CPA, and they're getting set up with traditionally an LLC, and then they're investing with that through. Um, syndication, or they can use that as like the holding company when they have that property specific LLC that they're uh, purchasing through. So, and that's also one of the other benefits that you know using an LLC rather than an individual is what we talked about earlier. Is now you have that liability protection. So whether you're using it just for that or using it for tax planning, uh, that gives you the benefits of both. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. So Jeff, how can people learn more about you and your firm? Check out our website. Uh, that's one of the best places for information. It's www.gibbsgiddon.com. Um, I also have a, a LinkedIn page where we post a lot of different blogs and information that are relevant to real estate investors. Also, I'm always happy to answer questions. So, you know, feel free to send me an email. Happy to talk. Okay, great. Well, what I'll do is I'll put all those links into the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Talk to you soon.
Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.